2: Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Academia Podcast. I'm Shauna Laughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And we got a real good one for you today. We, this could be like like one of those true crime podcasts.
0: It honestly <laughs> could with this kind of story.
2: Like look out serial, we're coming for you. Cue the gavel from uh <laughs> dun dun. Yeah. Law yeah, and order. Yeah. Just <laughs> I got you. a Blank. <laughs> so yeah, today we're talking Illegal underground trading that spans like half the world. We're talking multinational law enforcement crackdowns on smugglers. Um, this is some serious, serious business. So long story short, we were at a meeting with our team and we were talking about uh, a new BAP processing plant that just got certified of the first of uh, of its species. And we'll get into it. But it, it's... It, brought up this conversation that we were not expecting, didn't know anything about. And we said, we have to do a podcast episode on that. So we'll get into it in a minute. But before we do that, make sure you subscribe to Aquademia, wherever you listen, because that's how we get on the charts. And that's how we get exposure to more listeners and grow the community and spread the word about sustainable seafood so make sure wherever you're listening
1: you subscribe and if you want to reach out to us there's a few ways to do that we are on social at aquademia pod send us an email podcast at aquaculturealliance.org you can also fill out a form on the website uh, aquaculturealliance.org go to the education page halfway down you'll see the aquademia section. aquademia section there is a contact us button go ahead and click that fill out the form we'd love to hear if you want to be a guest, you have any any cool ideas or anything, we want to hear from you.
0: And we would love it if you could leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on.
2: That's right. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Let's let's grow this community. All right. Let's get into it. Maddie, what are we talking about today?
0: Today, we are talking about the mysterious seafood species called Totowapa. And we believe we're pronouncing that correctly. Sean looked up a video. <laughs> Spelled, I heard it in a video. <laughs> it's spelled I T-O- think it's Totoaba. It's spelled T O T O A B A. So Totoaba and the crazy industry that has arisen due to the scarcity of the species.
2: Yeah. So we have a few articles that we'll link to. I, I won't get. I have one article that like is is written in a pretty dramatic fashion. It, it really kind of sounds like a like one of those true crime stories. But I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Basically, this is a huge fish it's Huge. like a 2 meter long fish. It's a really really big fish and it lives it only lives in one place and that's like the northern part of the Gulf of California, okay? And there's another aquatic species that is really tied into this that that is also only living in that northern part of the Gulf of California. We'll get to that in a minute because that's kind of where a lot of the controversy a lot of the controversy comes from. There's two controversial things going on with this fish. So it's on the endangered species list. It, it's it's it, You can't fish for it. Is it banned since like 1975 or something like that? I, I don't know the exact date, but... Um,
0: it's been banned for a while.
2: It's been banned for a while. It's on the red list. It's, 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 you know, critically endangered basically, but people are still overfishing it and the reason they're overfishing it is because this fish has this giant swim bladder and it's also called Maw, M-A-W, and that swim bladder is this super prized product in China. You know, in China we we've, we've talked about how in China there's some some products that, you know, are things like shark fin soup and seahorses and stuff like that that they kind of like bring over and they they import into the, into China and they are considered delicacies for whatever reason. For in this case, this this swim bladder, this giant swim bladder is considered a delicacy and it's supposed to have health benefits, particularly for like postpartum issues that come up after having a baby and some gut health kind of stuff. And it's just super prized. And apparently at one point, I don't know if it still is, but it was. had a higher price point than cocaine in the underground markets in China. So there's this like massive smuggling ring bringing these fish bladders from Mexico to China that's underground that like they made a few years ago, they made like five big busts of this. Uh, since the beginning of 2018, Chinese customs authorities have uncovered five cases of smuggling in uh, smuggling in of Totoaba swim bladders. Uh, 32 people have been arrested and 300 million yen, which is 45 million U.S. dollars
1: uh, worth of contraband was seized from that, from those uh, those busts. So to summarize real quick, so I'm looking at a, a, another article, but just a quick little few sentences it says the swim bladder has properties that make it. Highly appreciated as an ingredient in Chinese cuisine and medicine. Like you said, Sean, the, the swim bladders are also known as ma's, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and yeah. are prepared in traditional soups and stews. And then a few paragraphs down, it it kind of breaks up what the typical prices were. Uh, I don't know the date. Uh, I, c- I could look it up, the date of the article. But we're looking at 100 grams of dried totoaba bladder could go for, and this is in US dollars, $2,600. Uh, and it ranges up to twenty five thousand dollars for a five hundred gram unit. That's no joke. So, that's that's no sure. joke. That's a lot of
2: money for not a lot of, of weight. And it's dried. It's like it's dried out, right? So you're not getting any weight from water. Like it's just it's just the swim bladder that's been dried out. And we've all seen the the visuals, you know, the pictures. I mean, I I'm sure a lot of us have seen these visuals of, you know, shark fins being dried on the roofs of of tall buildings uh in, in certain places and you know these yeah. these illegal smuggling rings of of shark fins but this is something that you don't hear enough about because this is actually a very very small market with a whole lot of money coming into it and it's it's an operation that's really hard for uh, officials to kind of crack down on because it is multinational it's coming from Mexico and it is going into China and, and Southeast Asia. So it's like, you know, you got to get the cooperation of both parties here to, to kind of crack down on this. And in some cases, I'm sure there is some leniency from law enforcement around these things, or maybe just some misunderstandings or misrepresentations to the governments. So they don't really know what's going on uh, as much. So that's one controversial side of this species. Highly endangered species, which is being, you know, sold, having parts of it be sold in this underground market for all kinds of money, and it's illegal, and it's not right. That's one thing. Now, the second thing is there's a species of porpoise. It's actually this, I think it's the smallest marine mammal. I think it, it, it's just that it's called the
0: vaquita. Vaquita. I think.
2: Vaquita. And it's just an adorable little porpoise with little, you know, raccoon circles around its eyes, and uh, it's it's super cute. But they're also super, super highly endangered. And they think that the fishing of this Totoaba is having such a massive uh, impact on the Vaquita's wild population because they are caught with gill nets. And the Totoaba is a really big fish. The Vaquita is a marine mammal, it's a porpoise. And the gill nets are. Allow enough space for basically this marine mammal's head to fit right in, and then they get caught and entangled in these gill nets, and it's having a massive, massive impact on their population. Last numbers I saw was that there's only around thirty, maybe even less, vaquita left in the world. So officials, I think they're starting to say that it may be too late for the vaquita. I know we talked; they, they mentioned that Jamie's article in the Advocate mentioned that a little bit. Do you want to talk about that for a minute, Maddie?
0: Yeah. So even just 20 years ago, there were only 600 vaquita, which is already awful and surprisingly small amount. But within those 20 years, it's dwindled down from 600 to just 30. And the reason why it's gone down so much is because of this illegal fishing that's going on in this area. And another thing that's contributing to this is that a lot of these areas in this Gulf of California are considered no fishing areas, specifically for the vaquita and the totoaba. But there are also a lot of shrimp that live in these areas because that's what these fish eat, Mm -hmm. these fish and mammals eat. And a lot of shrimp vessels are... Going into these areas and harvesting the fish from these areas, which is then infringing on this ecosystem that is so fragile and then is causing even more Vaquita to die out. So there's there's really two variables going on here. There's illegal fishing of the species themselves, and then there's intrusion into these really fragile ecosystems, which is then setting everything off. So it's really just a a situation that just keeps deteriorating more and more despite these no fishing areas and bans on fishing it seems like it it's almost a situation that we can't come back from which is really sad
2: it's hard because it's such a small area right like mm-hmm. it's such a secluded area if you look at a map if you look at a map of Mexico and southern California and the southwestern united states this gulf of california comes out of the pacific ocean and it goes and it takes a hard turn north and it's a very kind of long, thin gulf. It's not really wide open like the Gulf of Mexico. So the northern part where these species live is pretty, it's very secluded. And it's kind of like it's, you can see why any issues in that area would have a really big impact on the ecosystem in there. Because it is such a delicate ecosystem set up there because of this the geography and the structure of this gulf. So you think, because it's such a small area comparatively to other gulfs, that it would be a little bit easier to kind of regulate fishing and stuff the um The Mexican government did ban gill nets in the Gulf of California and it it caused all kinds of uproar and, and controversy there was some not a lot of people happy about it, but um it it was a step taken to try and protect primarily to try and protect this vaquita from going extinct um because they are such low numbers, but it, it's also hopefully gonna have an impact on the Totoaba population as well. I don't currently know what the status is on the illegal swim bladder trade of this fish. If you guys have any insight into that, I would love to hear it. Or Maddie Justin, if you have any ideas. We can talk we can talk kind of our thoughts about this in a minute in a minute, but um the last thing that I want to say before we kind of get into just kind of a casual conversation about this is The reason this came up is because there's aquaculture of this fish starting to happen. There's a couple articles out there, specifically one in The Advocate that's actually from 2017. It's called Aquaculture Gives Endangered Totoaba a Fighting Chance. So... People have figured out how to farm this fish. It's huge. If you find a video or a picture of one of these fish in, in a tank, it's crazy how big this fish is, but it's a it's a species of drum. So it's not like something like tuna, which is a massive fish that's pelagic and is constantly, you know, has to be swimming at like a million miles an hour. It lives in this Gulf, so it, it doesn't need as large of an area. So you can grow them in tanks. And it's amazing to see that huge, huge fish in those tanks. But these farmers aren't raising them for the swim bladders because they said the swim bladder trade the the only real money comes from like the really, really big ones, and it's not economically feasible to raise fish that big because it would be such low numbers, right, yeah, one fish per tank yeah so so um they're raising them for seafood, they're raising them to sell the fish uh just like any other good legal aquaculture facility, and um you know they're it's starting to get a little more prevalent, and this facility that has been BAP certified is actually a processing plant. They process a couple other fish, Red Drum and some other species, um, but they also are the first Totoaba fish processor to be BAP certified. So that's kind of how this whole conversation started. So we're really hoping that this aquaculture, that aquaculture of this fish and the farming of it can help with the wild population, which is critically endangered. I have a couple opinions on that, which I'm sure we can get to. But Justin, Maddie, I mean, what do you
1: what do you guys think about this? What are your thoughts? My question would be, what's the what type of farm is raising these? I mean, obviously, it's not like a raceway. <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to look for the article. And to your point, Sean, they're obviously not growing them to the 300 plus pounds, uh, unless there would be a, a way to have. They grow fast. I was reading in the article, so they they do grow rather quickly um it looks like they're probably being fed fish meal of some sort because they do eat other
2: yeah so the fish is served in restaurants and hotels but those fish are not caught in gillnets the gillnets is the is the problem so i'm looking at this article right now it's talking about farming the fish i don't think it really lays out the system that it uses but i did see i watched a couple videos one of the videos had footage at a fish farm and it was it was a tank it looked like a recirculating or a flow through
1: system Okay it was in a yeah, tank was, the fish was in a tank He he. Yeah, it okay. was it was
2: amazing. He picked up the you know it was one of the tanks with the windows on the side, yep, and he kind of lifted up like a flap, and there was just this massive fish head that was like like the just size of your body. Him. It
1: was crazy. super cool. Well, that's interesting. I mean obviously there's got to be especially if it was an r e s system because when we've had episodes on those before, those are not you have to do a lot of preparing before you decide to invest. And build something like that so the species that you raise needs to be valuable and valuable enough to warrant the the cost of running an res system yeah There's i would guess we're looking at more of income.
2: like a flow-through type system where you're pumping in water and it's going through your system and then you're pumping out the wastewater
1: well so this this is i mean my general impression that this is another really good example of the benefits of of aquaculture looking at How we can? I mean, there's a we talk about it all the time. There's a ton of different species out there. Certain ones just do not make sense to farm, Farm. and some do. And as we grow as an industry it's a seafood industry as an aquaculture industry we learn more and more about species and value and time changes everything over time people may just want to experiment with something new and if, if the value is there the consumers want it then you know just given how many innovative technologies that are out there there's a way to start integrating new species of fish into the aquaculture space and this is an example of that and i i don't think at this point you know i've, I've been in the industry now for almost 4 years and in the beginning I was shocked about how quickly things were changing and now it just seems like it's the norm. So I'm I'm, I'm almost not I, yeah. I'm still very impressed with the technologies and the innovations that are coming out, but you would think I would be a little bit more shocked knowing that a 300 plus pound fish. Again, it's not growing to that size, but a fish that can grow that large is being considered to be farmed is Yeah, is, they said they can live for like 20 years. A lot of people, but, it's yeah.
2: you know, it's interesting. We think of aquaculture as like when we think of aquaculture, because of the industry, the the side of the industry that we work in, we think of it as seafood. You raise fish, yeah. you harvest fish, you process fish, it goes to mm. a restaurant, it goes to a, a retailer, it goes to consumers, and they cook it and they eat it, right? Mm. But aquaculture is used for a lot of other things too. And in this case, I think it's kind of a toss up between like, yeah, we're raising them for fish to sell, but there's also this idea of... We're raising these fish to try and save the population because the wild population is yeah. in such dire conditions. And then there's also like what I used to do before I came here, the side of the aquaculture aquaculture industry that I worked in before I started at GAA was biomedical research. I was raising zebrafish. I raised thousands and thousands of zebrafish to use as a, a model for various disease modeling and and uh, medication testing and, you know, different biomedical research. And that's something that people don't even think about. I'd love to do a little bit more. I know we're a kind of a seafood and sustainability podcast, but um, I'd love to get into that a little bit more because that's still aquaculture, still raising fish. So, you know, there's sure different applications for farming fish than just seafood. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an example of how you can kind of hit a couple of those, which is kind of cool. My issue with it, and I don't know, I mean, you know, I'm not living in this world i don't I'm not down in Mexico. I don't kind of get this information delivered to me regularly, but if the banning of gill nets still if if they're still using gill nets, even though it's banned and they're still catching this fish and there's still this underground market, this like black market for the swim bladders, my question is how is farming this fish going to help save that population because the fish are not being Caught that way for sales to restaurants and and food service, right? Because it says the 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 fish that are going into restaurants and and hotels and and food service places, uh, food service organizations is not caught with gill nets. That's caught, you know, in a legal manner. Even though <laughs> it's so confusing, because like what what are the status for? the the ban on fishing this fish legally like what what is the, what are the parameters around that that I, I don't know of but if you're farming the fish and that illegal fishing has still happened then then it's not going to make any difference right unless you're farming the fish to supply this underground market of for the fish for the swim bladders which they explicitly said they're not doing so i don't know how farming this fish is going to help with this situation that's that's my pessimistic point of view i guess what, what do you think, Maddie? What's your thoughts on Totawaba?
0: I think it's interesting because it's kind of a perfect case study in a lot of the messages that GAA puts out about fishing is an amazing industry and it needs to exist. But in order to feed our growing population and with stocks of certain fish either staying the same or declining then there needs to be another way that we can get seafood in order to feed the people of the world, especially in countries where seafood is like the primary source of protein. And it's interesting because we often, well, not often, our whole mission is to support the fact that aquaculture is the perfect supplement to fisheries. And this is interesting because it's the exact case study of this message that we put out. Mm -hmm. And I find it interesting what you just said, Sean, because it just made me think of... When an animal is close to extinction, a lot of times the last few will be brought to like a zoo or something to watch them and make sure that they continue reproducing, but then they're taken out of their original habitat. So it's it's a different sort of existence once they're right in these areas. Yeah, and
2: there's a lot of controversy around that as well.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it made me think about how I'm glad that that isn't happening and I'm glad that they're doing this in the ecosystem where they're endemic to. I think that it's definitely the best possible course of action to start farming these. Like that's the best that we can do in this situation. That's just really what it comes down to. I don't know how else we would be able to get around this issue, especially because the populations just continue to decline even with these new like legislations put in place.
2: Yeah. What what are your feelings towards the vaquita and its correlation with this. Do you think that like that is a direct result of this illegal fishing of the totoaba or do you think they're just kind of two common issues that are happening at the same time in the same area?
0: I think it's interesting because they're so parallel, like they're in the same area and they're both experiencing massive population decline. So part of me feels like they, they have to be interrelated because it's too coincidental for them to both be going through this at the same exact time. But well, maybe it's not, because we are kind of going through a mass extinction right now.
2: Right. Well, yeah. Everything that I read basically said that the primary reason these these vaquita are dying at such a rapid pace is because they're getting entangled in gillnets. And the gillnets are used to catch totoaba because the totoaba are big enough that they get stuck in them. And that's how, you, that's how they catch them efficiently. And then, you know... Well, uh, that's
1: uh, something you can actually, if they're are gillnets, and they're capturing these in them, that's a tangible You can see evidence, yeah. that happening. That's evidence, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the
2: banning of nets has happened. Has it had an impact? Maybe it's too early mm-hmm. to tell. Um, You know, we may need to see, like, 10, 20, 30 years of this banned net legislation to see kind of what impact it's had. And I know there's a lot of other initiatives going on to try and help help the the vaquita uh and and the totoaba because you know with the farming of a, you can't really farm the vaquita <laughs> but um there's some other efforts i know that the you know the controversial group the sea shepherd uh has done some stuff out there trying to you know catch these illegal totoaba fishermen uh to try and help with the the vaquita and stuff like that so there's a lot going on but it's you know, it, it, it feels, I don't want to be doomsday but it feels to me like it's almost a little too late for that species, which is really kind of sad. And they may end up just, and I don't know what if it's possible to keep them in aquarium or not, but they, they may end up one of those species where the last surviving members of their species are in captivity. So, who knows?
1: Who knows? Yeah, like you said, t- I think time will tell. I mean, this is... There are enough articles out there where this is public knowledge, so people are aware of what's happening. There are actions being taken to reduce, you know, any, hopefully any further damage. But hopefully it's it's not too late. I mean, we've seen other species bounce back, so, yeah. you know, hopefully... And, Fisk, and I, one of those species do it as well.
2: I do want to give a shout out. There are a lot of fishermen in Mexico and Southern California that are doing things right and they stopped using gill nets and they're, you know, they're fishing legally. I want to make sure that we highlight the good players in the industry who are doing things right and advocating for, for sustainability and, and smart, safe practices in the fishing industry.
0: And they definitely outweigh the number of illegal activity that's going yeah. on. This far.
2: just happens to be a topic where we're focusing on illegal activity. So, you know, it's it's really important to me that we make it known that there are a whole lot of professionals in the fishery industry down there that are doing things right and are advocating for the correct way of doing things. So just want to throw that out there. Um, and, you know, we could we could do like an entire series. We could do a whole separate podcast on this underground illegal swim bladder market, but we're not a true crime podcast and we're not a conspiracy podcast. We're not that type. We are a seafood and sustainability podcast. And so that's the aspect of this story that we're focusing on. So if you're interested in learning more about this story and that side of it, definitely do a little research into it. I saw something that said that it's kind of gone more underground since they started having these these busts and they, 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 these crackdowns on it now that they're more aware of what's going on. But I read something about, like, a, a couple German filmmakers who wanted to make a documentary about it. And they went, like, they got permission to, like, go into these, like, circles and try to see if they can gain access to this market. And I guess it was super easy for them. And they were just like, oh yeah, like we got tons of it. Here it is. And it's real it'll be really easy for us to ship it for you to Germany and all this stuff. So it's like, all right, this is definitely still happening. It's still an issue. So there's a lot to, to research with that. So we won't get into it all here. It would be fun, but I don't have the time or resources to, to do that right now. Uh, and it wouldn't be a, a good fit for our show, so we're we're focusing on the the aquaculture side of it. But um, definitely check it out. We'll we'll give some resources in the show notes. Anything else that you guys want to bring up about this this topic?
1: No, I think we'll we'll link plenty of resources in the show notes. And I mean, we can't stress it enough. There's listeners out there that w- that will hear this episode that may have deeper knowledge on the subject or strong we opinions. Want to chime in and, or strong opinions, and we want to hear them. We want to hear it all. So, you know, we told you in the beginning of the show how to reach out to us. Don't be shy. We want to hear from you.
2: Yeah, we don't often kind of dive into more controversial topics. If we got some information wrong, please don't flip out and yell at us, but let us know. You know, we want to hear from you. We we want to, that we're dipping our toes into this topic because it it obviously has a strong connection with the seafood industry and it's something that we found interesting and we thought our listeners would find interesting and I'm happy to continue this conversation if anybody wants to reach out and talk more about it so and lastly I do want to thank uh the editor of the Global Aquaculture Advocate which is our online magazine James Wright um he's the one that brought this up to us when we when we mentioned that the first Totoaba facility was certified was BAP certified uh he kind of brought this whole story up to us because he had written the article about it uh like three four years ago in the in the advocate which we'll link to the show notes and we we just said that's that's an amazing episode and we need to do that so so thank you james for bringing that up and for opening our eyes to this this world and this issue and uh we we will also have links to the advocate so you can read his articles and contact him if you want to speak with him as well anything else before
1: we sign off
0: that's everything
1: all right make sure you subscribe wherever you are follow us on social at Aquademia Pod send us an email podcast at AquacultureAlliance.org visit us AquacultureAlliance.org go to the education section you can check out all the happenings on Aquademia on that page
0: and make sure that you rate and review us on whichever platform you listen to us on
1: that's right thank you so much for listening and
2: we will talk to you next time bye ciao